following is a message by Pastor Dale O'Shields, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this message. Now, here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn your attention with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be in just a moment, and that will be our starting point as we're involved in this series of messages for Christmas called Jesus More Than a Baby in a Manger. I want to talk to you this weekend about Jesus, the miracle worker. As I mentioned last week, uh, all of the, all the Christmas season oftentimes uh, represents opportunities for us to give and receive gifts. I think giving and receiving gifts is a very good thing, and there's something about getting a gift when you open it up. There's this moment of anticipation before you open the gift, and then the moment of revelation when you actually open the gift and look in, and then there's some kind of emotional response generally to a gift. Sometimes you look in the gift and say, oh, why did I get that? sort of a moment of disappointment. Sometimes you look at it and say, wow, that's really nice, sort of what I've expected. It was a kind of in, in a sense of, it met a sense of fulfillment for you. But there are other times you open up a gift and you say, wow, that's far more than I could have imagined. This kind of is really over the top, a kind of gift that I could never have imagined receiving. And when we're looking at the gift of Christmas, the gift of Jesus Christ, we're sort of taking this time, this season, to open up the box, if you will, of Jesus and to look at and to really discover what this gift is all about. What, what's on the inside of this box called Jesus, this person called Jesus? And who is he? And what does it mean to us in terms of who he is, discovering him, unwrapping that gift? And Isaiah the prophet, about 700 years before Jesus was born, he looked into history and he was moved by the Holy Spirit to prophesy. A prophecy is just simply a prediction of what's going to come. And Isaiah was a prophet. He prophesied or predicted what was to come. And so he saw 700 years into the future. He did not know how many years it would be, but he saw into the future. It ended up being about 700 years. And he saw the coming of Messiah. And he penned these words that we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his government, and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Isaiah said, I see down into history, into the future, and there's coming one who will be the Messiah. A child is going to be born to us. And this child will be given royal titles or royal names. He would come to be known as the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Would you say those four titles with me this morning? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. If you don't mind, let's do it once again. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Here Isaiah says Jesus, the Messiah, will be known by these titles. Not so much that these titles are bestowed upon him, but these are recognition points of people who experience him. This is who and what they will call him. They will call him by experience the wonderful counselor. They will call him by experience the mighty God. They will call him by experience the everlasting father. They will call him by experience the prince of peace. And last weekend we talked about Jesus being the wonderful counselor. And we talked about the fact that when you get to know Jesus, you discover that he truly is a wonderful counselor, is he not? Today I want to talk to you about the mighty God. 
the second title, the royal title, that as we get to know Jesus, we open up this box called Jesus Christ, this person of Jesus, and we look in and we say, what is this gift of Christmas all about? And we discover that Jesus, as surely as he is the wonderful counselor, he also is the mighty God. He reveals to us the very power of the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly of anything above what we could ask or imagine. I want to share with you three things today that you need to know about Jesus as the mighty God, as he, as he reveals the mighty God to you and me. And these are three very basic things, but nevertheless, three things that you and I need to, in an ongoing way, remember about our Savior. First of all, we need to understand that as the mighty God, Jesus is and has been presented to us and is still in reality the healing Savior. One of the most important and consistent things that you see about Jesus during his time on earth really was his healing ministry. He actually, uh, you see over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus continually healing people of all kind of different things. Let me give you a few examples of the kind of things that Jesus healed people from and that he still heals people from today. He healed people from physical sicknesses and diseases. It's a story, Mark chapter 5, of a woman. Let me read it for you, and we'll talk about her situation. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten, she had not gotten, she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. This is one of many stories that I could take you to in the Bible today of a person who had a horrible physical ailment. This lady had been suffering with hemorrhaging for 12 years. She had gone to every doctor, had pursued every bit of medical uh, capacity that she had in terms of paying for what she, what she could pay for and afford, and no one could help her. There was no one there that could cure her situation. No one had any answers for her. But one day she heard that Jesus was nearby and she made her way into the crowd that day and not wanting to be noticed by others because she was considered to be unclean because of her bleeding condition, she made her way very surreptitiously through the crowd. In fact, it may even seem that she crawled her way through the crowd and reached out and actually just reached and touched the edge of Jesus' garment. And the Bible says she did so with faith because Jesus stopped everything in that moment and said, who touched me? And he knew that someone had touched him because there in that moment with faith she'd reached out and she was made whole. I want you to know today that Jesus is the mighty God. He heals diseases that no one else can heal. Well, I'm very grateful for, and all of us are grateful for, the medical field, medical doctors, how wonderful it is to have people that have answered the call to serve in that area. And if you're in the medical field, we thank God for you and your service. But any good doctor will tell you there are times that the doctor can't do anything. There are times when the diagnosis is beyond what the doctor can do. And, and while the doctor can do everything they can and the physicians can do everything they can, I'm so glad that we can appeal to one who is the great physician. He is greater than any physician. He is the great physician of all. He's the one that brings healing. And he's the one that heals us not only of physical diseases, but he also is heal, able to heal you of inner wounds in your life. Another story that I will take you to that you're familiar with in John chapter 8. It's a story of a lady who was hurting very much on the inside. Here's the story, verse number 1, John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, 
At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such, a, such women. Now, what do you say? Let's stop there just for a moment and understand what's really going on. Here's a lady who's been caught in something immoral, something that she knew was wrong. She, aware, she was aware of the reality that her behavior was not appropriate. But these religious leaders grabbed her. The Bible says she was caught in the very act of adultery and brought into the presence of Jesus. Some Artistic, artistic renderings of this event will show her simply wrapped in a sheet because she'd been taken, if you will, from the bedroom and thrown into the feet or at the feet of Jesus. It could not have been more of a humiliating moment because here she is, not only in the presence of the religious leaders, but also in the presence of Jesus and all the crowd that was watching. And so here she is, humiliated by her behavior, ashamed because of what she's done, ashamed of the mistakes that she's made. She's been cast in front of Jesus in this condition and the religious leaders are saying, what we really want to do is to stone her. She deserves to be stoned. She deserves to be put to death. That's what the law says to do. Jesus, what are you going to do? And here's a moment when Jesus is facing a person, not only who's committed a sin and failed in, in breaking the law of God, but now has also been humiliated and made ashamed by it. And so she's hurting deeply on the inside. So what Jesus does in this moment is very important to note. Notice verse number 6 now. They were using this question, that is, what are you going to do with her, Jesus? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let, let any, any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. What a critical moment this is. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And that word condemned is extremely important because that's exactly what she was feeling in the moment she was feeling condemned by her behavior. And so Jesus asked the question, where, where are your condemners? Where are your accusers? And her response is, no one, sir. That is, no one is still here to accuse me. And then Jesus made this response, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let me tell you, that was a very precious moment for that lady. That in that moment, when she could have been humiliated even further by Jesus, instead of humiliating her further, he extends to her the grace that she needed to bring about healing for her deepest wounds, for her humiliation and shame, and he sent her on her way to a new life. Our Jesus is a mighty God. He heals people, yes, physically. He heals people emotionally. And as the mighty God, Jesus came to bring healing to you also. It's not just something in the Bible for those times. It is something available to you. Matthew 14, 35 and 36. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area. And soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let, let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all, notice this, all who touched him were healed all who touched him you say well yeah that was back in those days when you can actually physically reach out and touch Jesus let me tell you something you can still touch Jesus today okay you touch him with the touch of faith you touch him with the outreaching arms of 
of faith and confidence in Him, reaching out to His promises. 1 Peter 2, 24, He, Jesus, personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By His wounds you are healed. By His stripes or by His wounds you are healed. Psalm 147, verse number 3, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. What a great promise. Now, you might say, well, you know, Pastor, I've had some sicknesses and diseases and problems and things of this nature, and I I prayed for healing, and I maybe haven't experienced it or haven't experienced it yet. You're here telling us today that Jesus is still a healer. Well, what is that all about? Let Let me help you to understand something. There are times in the providence of God and the wisdom of God and the omnipotence of God and the omniscience of God, uh, the all-wise, all-knowing God, that we, we simply, we pray and we trust. Amen? Okay? You pray and you trust. You ask God to do what He says He will do and heal, and you trust Him to do that. You put that in His hands. If you're sick in your body, you pray for healing. If you're sick in your soul, you pray for healing. And many times there are answers to those prayers. Those answers may come in the form of medical help that you'll receive. The answer may come in the form of a miracle that may happen in your life. The answers also may come not in this life, but in the next life. Because all healing doesn't happen here, but healing will happen eventually because when you and I met Jesus Christ, we stepped into healing. We stepped into a healing flow. Now, when that healing is fully manifested, we don't have the capacity to control that, but one thing we can know for sure is that no matter what the sickness or the ailment or the disease is, when you move from this life to the next life, healing is certain. That's why Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 is so very powerful. Listen to what the scripture says about heaven. When we all get to heaven, when we get beyond this life to the next life, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Aren't you glad that one day you're going to shed yourself of this body, you're going to step into a brand new body, and there's no sickness, there's nothing there that is dysfunctional, there's no pathology in heaven. Okay. So we have the reality that Jesus is our healer. He is our healing Savior, whether it be here or in the life to come. We step into the flow of the healing tree that's provided by Jesus. The second thing that you need to know about Jesus as your mighty God is that He is a liberating Savior. He came to help you experience real freedom in your life to liberate you and I from all bondages and things that are controlling our life in a restrictive way or a destructive way. And every person here, not a single exception, every person here, we all have things in our life that are imperfect. Amen? Amen? Okay, there's not a single perfect person in the place. If you're perfect, would you excuse yourself right now, okay? Because you're in the midst of imperfect people. We're all in the process of moving somewhere with our life. And all of us have things in our life that restrict us. We wish that we could be better at things that actually sometimes are destructive to us. And so they're patterns of life. We're not there yet. We're in the process of gaining freedom and growing in freedom. But Jesus came to liberate us from those things that restrict us and those things that destroy us. He came to liberate people who are oppressed. I want to mention that word oppression just for a moment because oppression is the concept or the idea of being weighted down with something, burdened with something, that something is on you that creates a weight in your life that makes it hard to carry, okay? 
The concept of oppression, the root word is press, and so the whole idea of oppress is to put something on you. There's a weight on you that presses down your life. Again, that restricts you or destructs you, is destructive to you in some manner. And Jesus came to lift oppression. When you, un, when you unwrap the gift of Jesus and you look in this person of Jesus, who he is, and you realize he's the mighty God, what does that mean? It means he's the healing Savior, but he's also the liberating Savior. He's the one that wants to lift oppression from your life. Acts 10 verse 38 describes this ministry of Jesus. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That is with might, with power. Dunamis is the word there. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed, oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And when you review the ministry of Jesus, you will see that over and over again, he went around freeing people from oppression. The worst kind of oppression you'll ever experience is the oppression that happens in your heart, in your mind, the kind of things that weigh you down internally. And Jesus came and freed people from things like this. Let me give you an extreme story of oppression in the Bible. Because if you can see Jesus helping someone in the extreme, that gives you hope for where you are in your life. Because I promise you, you're not going to be any worse than this guy was. Here's the story, Mark chapter 5. Extreme oppression. Jesus, to set the context here for you, Jesus had just crossed over the Sea of Galilee. And he had his disciples with him, so he gets out on the other side of the lake on the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says that when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. So this man was living in a cemetery. The man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with the chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Would you all agree with me that this man was in deep trouble? I mean, we're talking about an extreme case of oppression. Not just actually in his case was it oppression. This man was actually possessed by the devil. He was possessed by demon spirits. It's a sad picture of human, personal human oppression. The man was a tortured, tormented, bound up soul. There was no hope for this man. Everybody had tried everything they could to help him as well. And he, he, no one could restrain him. In fact, he had so much demonic entity, so much demonic power in him, that when they would shackle him with chains, he had the capacity to break those chains. Horrible story. But Jesus arrives on the scene. As you see, he gets out of the boat, and there he encounters this man. Notice verse number 6. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him with a shriek. This is the demon in him now. You're going to hear exclaiming these words. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, he's talking, Jesus is addressing the spirit in this man, the demons in him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him, begged Jesus again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged, let us enter them. 
So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. It's fair to say that this man could have been possessed by as many as 2,000 demons. I don't want one demon in my life. How about you? Okay. But we're talking about someone that had potentially 2,000 demons possessing. That's why he was so tortured. He was in a bad situation. There's not a single person here that can come close to the kind of condition that this man had. And there in the story, Jesus steps in and brings healing and restoration. And then you see what happens. You see the man at the end of the picture here in verse number 15. When they came to Jesus, the people around the territory heard about this miracle. They came to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had, who had been, notice his past tense now, who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid so here's the story of a man who is not in his right mind when we meet him but by the time Jesus intervenes in his life he's in his right mind this is the liberating savior this is the one who came as the mighty God now you say well that's in the New Testament that's when Jesus was on earth I want you to know that Jesus still liberates people today okay it's not over with okay he still does this kind of work in people Luke 4, verses 18 and 19 speaks of the ongoing ministry of Jesus. Jesus declared, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. John 8, 31 and 32. Again, the words of Jesus. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will do what? It will set you free. And then in verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Or one translation says, you are free indeed. Jesus is your mighty God. And as your mighty God, He is your liberating Savior. He is your healing Savior. He is your liberating Savior. And the third thing I want to mention just briefly today for us is He's also your supernatural Savior. The word supernatural is a word that uh, is very easy to understand because you just break the two words apart, natural and super. That's all it is. So natural, let's start with the natural first. Natural is what's natural. It's what you expect to happen. There's certain things that are, you just happen, okay? If I, if I take this, uh, this lectern and I come to the edge of the platform and I drop it, there's a law of gravity that's natural. It's going to cause it to drop to the floor. It's a natural law, okay? Now, if I take this uh, lectern over to the side of the platform and I hold it up and I drop it and it stays in midair, that's called supernatural, okay, right? Because it's super, it's above or beyond the natural, okay? So supernatural is something that we're not real com we're not familiar with talking about very much, except oftentimes in very weird ways. But, but the Bible is a supernatural book. It's a supernatural book because if you take, off all the, you take out all the supernatural things in the Bible, you have very little Bible left, okay? Okay? From Genesis, I mean, you know, it starts in Genesis with God speaking and things start popping into existence, right? That's kind of supernatural, right? Not kind of, it is supernatural. And so you go all throughout the Bible and you see all these events that are the supernatural, or I'll give you another word, is the miraculous. 
And so the Bible is filled with miracles. And so it, we have to understand that the miracles or the supernatural that is in Scripture is not just some kind of myth or fable. It's not made up by people. It's not just neat stories that people tried to make up to emphasize something about a God somewhere. No, this is the real God doing real things that go beyond the natural. It is supernatural. And so our God, when He intervenes, God cannot be anything other than supernatural because God exists above the natural, right? God by His very nature is supernatural, okay? God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And so just to experience God is to experience the supernatural. There is no supernatural apart from God. He is that very thing. And so we have to lend ourselves to a new understanding and expectation that if we serve God and know God, we can anticipate supernatural things happening in our lives. Can I get a little amen right there? While we'll live in the natural There'll be those moments, those times when there will be supernatural things that will happen in our lives because God is the God of the supernatural. He, he has established the natural, but He's also the God of the supernatural. And there, there are miracles of all kinds of supernatural dimensions in Scripture that still happen in the lives of people today. Let me give you just three examples of those. First of all, there's stories in the Bible of supernatural provision. And our God is the God of supernatural provision. One story that we see that you're very familiar with is the time that Jesus was in that, that place of teaching on a hillside one day. And 5,000 men were there, uh, plus their, the, the women and the children. So as I've told you before, there's probably 10, 15, 20,000 people on the hillside that day. And so Jesus said, we need to give them something to eat. And he told the disciples to go and find some food. You know the story. They went out and they found five loaves and two fish. Now think about that just naturally with me for a moment. Let's go to the natural realm for a moment. And the natural realm is we've got 5,000 plus women and children. Again, 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people that are there that day. And here we have five loaves and two fish. There's no way that you can feed that many people with five little fish, five loaves and two little fish. You can't do it. The natural laws say that's impossible. The natural laws says you can't do that. It's not, the math doesn't work. Nobody's, that's not, that's hardly enough for, for even one person. In fact, it was one little boy's lunch. It was not even lunch for an adult. So here we have this situation that naturally lends itself to an impossibility. Now pick up the story with me in Matthew chapter 14. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the, how many loaves? Five. And how many fish? Two, okay? Five loaves, two fish. He took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven. That's where the supernatural power comes from. Looked up to heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. Now notice this. Notice this, they all ate as much as they wanted. That's supernatural. How many fish did we have? How many loaves did we have? Five. And now we've got 10,000 plus people. They ate everything they wanted. This is massive fish and bread buffet. All you can eat. 
And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So not only had everyone eaten everything they wanted, but now there are 12 baskets of leftovers for each of the disciples as well. And then it goes on to add emphasis to this. In verse 21, about 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and the children. That's miraculous. That's miraculous. Let me give you another story of miraculous provision. Anybody appreciating who Jesus is today? Matthew 17, love this story. On their arrival in Capernaum, Capernaum is a little fishing village on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus operated out of many times on their arrival in Capernaum. The collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. Then he went into the house, that's where the little house that Jesus was there with them in. But before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, well, what do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or the people they've conquered? Or the people they've conquered? They tax the people they've conquered, Peter replied. Well, then, Jesus said, the citizens are free. That's another story, another teaching for another time. Let me get to the point I want to make today. However, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake and throw in a line. So let me stop there for a moment. Peter and Jesus owed the temple tax, okay? It was tax time. It was April 15th, Okay. In those days, okay. And so they owed their taxes. Now, Jesus really didn't, he didn't really owe taxes because he's king, right? Okay, so that's the point that was being made there. But nevertheless, he says, we don't want to offend them. So he said, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the lake and throw in a line. I mean, you know, that, that it's like, that doesn't make any sense, right? I owe my taxes and you're telling me to go fishing, right? But now it gets even, even a bit stranger. Open the mouth of the first fish, fish you catch. And you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. You owe your taxes, you go fishing, and you get everything you need to pay your taxes. Try that next April 15th, okay? <laughs> the point being here is that in any need, in any situation that you're in, you can trust that God always has enough for you, okay? That there's a, there, even when you, if you've done what you know to do and you've been consistent with your life to try to be faithful to the principles of God, to live as much as you can, notwithstanding all of our weaknesses and failures, then God says, I'm going to take care of you. And you don't have to depend upon the natural. I can step in above the natural and I can do something supernatural. That even if you don't have the money to pay your taxes, I can bring a fish along and he'll spit out the coin for you that you need. Amen? Even when you only have five loaves and two fish and you need to feed a whole bunch of people, I can come in and if you'll give it to me, I can bless it. And so Jesus is the supernatural Savior. He helps us with provision. He also steps in and brings intervention into our life. Great story of his intervention in Mark chapter 4. Jesus is in the boat with the disciples again on the Sea of Galilee. And this is terrible storm is happening. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, said to the waves, Silence, be still, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Notice this, Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves do what? obey him that's supernatural okay if the wind and the waves waves obey that's not natural that's supernatural 
Here's another story, verses 25 through 29, Matthew 14. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them again, walking on the water, Sea of Galilee. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear. They cried, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Now stop there for a moment. When he's walking on the water, okay, what is that? That's not natural, okay? That's supernatural, okay? Now notice what happens here because we see Jesus doing the supernatural. Notice now what happens. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and read the rest of it with me and walked on the water toward Jesus. It's not just Jesus doing the supernatural, but Jesus enables his people to do things that are supernatural. Are you with me here today? Because of Peter's faith in Jesus, he was able to do something that otherwise he would not have been able to do. And there are times in your life that there'll be things that you'll, you'll, you'll need to do that you don't have the ability to do, but God will give you the power to do it. The last point I want to mention, we're just about done here, and the last thing I want to mention today is in terms of this whole dimension of supernatural elements of who Jesus is, he's the, he's the, he's the mighty God of resurrection, one of the things that you see about Jesus in the scriptures of the New Testament, I challenge you to do a study of Jesus uh, going to funerals because Jesus ruined every funeral he went to, okay? I say ruined in the sense of he turned it actually into a party, okay? Because everywhere that Jesus would go where there was death, he would bring life because he could not help but bring life because he is resurrection. Here's a story in Luke chapter 7. Verse 12, a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, now he's talking to the dead man, dead young man. He said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Life came in that situation. I will tell you, sometimes things that look dead and are dead, Jesus can bring back to life again, okay? But it's not just death that Jesus can resurrect from. He can resurrect not just from death, but also from death and decay, okay? And I'll draw a distinction between those two in just a moment. Look at John chapter 11. Tell you the background of the story. Mary and Martha, two sisters, had a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus had gotten sick and died. Jesus was delayed in getting there to him. By the time Jesus arrived, he'd been dead for four days. He'd been buried in the tomb. And so they're concerned about the fact that Jesus was not there when the brother died. And they knew had he been there that the brother would not have died. But now they're all concerned about it. And so Jesus said, just tell me where the where the tomb is. Take me to the tomb. And so they, they, they began to take Jesus to the tomb of Lazarus. Now they get to the tomb, notice this, uh, hear the words of Jesus, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. So they get up to the tomb, there's this big tomb stone there, and he says, roll the tomb stone aside, roll that stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. Again, she's talking natural here, okay? The smell will be terrible. This is just natural. We expect this, correct? Okay. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. 
And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Here you see, it's an amazing story. Again, these are not fables, these are not made up myths in the Bible, these are real things that happen. So here's Jesus stepping into this situation, roll the stone away, he called Lazarus forth, he comes out all bound up, and here's you see that, that he is, Jesus is interven, in, intervening not just in something that is dead, but now it goes a step further, he's intervening in something that is decaying, okay? Sometimes in your life, dear ones, I will tell you, there will be moments when you look at something and it feels so dead. I've had people tell me before, my marriage is dead. Well, it may be dead, but Jesus is still the resurrection. Okay? Amen? And I've watched Jesus resurrect relationships. In some situations, things are not just dead, they're already decaying. Okay? They already stink. They've gotten past the point of de death. They're now deteriorating even beyond the point of death. Decay is there. And Jesus in this situation step in. What I want you to know today is that Jesus is the supernatural Savior. Okay? You can trust Him for provision. You can trust Him for intervention. You can trust Him for resurrection. You can know that He is the healing Savior. He is the liberating Savior. And He is the supernatural Savior. That's why Isaiah, when he looked into the future and he saw coming the Messiah a child will be born a son will be given and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace that when you and I open up this package of Jesus and if you will look in the box and see who he is we look in and discover this is far more than I could have ever imagined. He is the wonderful counselor. And he is the mighty God. Would you pray with me today? Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that across this worship center today and all of our different campuses that there are many different needs that are represented there are people today that are in need of healing. There are people today that are in need of liberation from some oppression in their life, Lord. There are people today that are in need of your supernatural provision, your supernatural intervention, your supernatural resurrection. We thank you that in this Christmas season that we're reminded that you are the mighty God. Lord, it's not just some title that we use when we read this passage in Isaiah and we think about it at Christmas time. This is the reality of who you are. And I pray today in the name of Jesus for those among us who are sick. I pray that today you would begin to infuse them with healing grace. I pray, Lord, that diseases would be healed. I pray that wounds on the inside would be, Lord, made right and whole. I pray, Lord, that healing grace and wholeness would come to people today. Lord, I pray for those who have felt oppressed by by, by the works of the adversary, oppressed by, by torturous thoughts on the inside, oppressed by things that would push them down and restrict their life and destruct their life. We pray in the name of Jesus that today they might experience the liberating Savior. They will know you and know the truth of your word that will set them free. I pray today for those that simply need an intervention from you, Lord, in their life, or they need a provision from you, or Lord, they need a resurrection from you. I pray that today their faith would rise toward you and let there come, Lord, that sense of confidence that you are the God that is mighty in our lives. 
And today we celebrate you as the mighty God. In Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. You begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.